Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to another Projects at Work podcast. This one is going to be sort of an open discussion, and I'm joined today by Jesse Sterenschus and Paul Hammond, who I will let introduce themselves in a moment. Um, and then we're going to get into the topic. But just to give you the highlight, what we're going to be focusing on is a conversation about um, what versus why with respect to agile adoption. How important is it that the people who are trying to take on agile or the organization that is trying to take on agile, how important is it that there is an actual deep emotional understanding of why we're doing these things? Is it enough to just go through the motion? So it's going to be a little bit of a debate and a discussion. Um, but before we get into that, Jesse, would you be willing to introduce yourself to the folks? Sure. I'm Jesse Starenshoes. I am the owner and founder of the Improv Effect. And we are a company that works worldwide helping people with collaboration and communication and creative problem solving. I'm also the author of a book called Control Shift, 50 Games for 50 Blanking Days Like Today. And it's basically different types of days that you might be having and an exercise to go with it. So something experiential to help you deal with it. Cool. All right. Thank you. And Paul? Yeah. Hi, I'm Paul Hammond. I am uh, uh, currently an engineering manager working for uh, eBay, previously of Microsoft for many years. So I uh, spent much of my career in, in big corporates figuring out how to, how to ship software. Um, I'm also a member of the Agile Alliance board. So in my spare time, I, I work with them to uh, figure out how to um, move the agenda forwards for uh, Agile uh, in general. Um, so, uh, you know, spend some time thinking about how to bring the community uh, into agility with, with a, a real non-specific uh, bent. So, you know, making sure that we're covering all of the, the, the various different practices and, and, and things like that. So, cool. That's, right. that's me. All right. Thank you. So, um, and I'm Dave Fryer. And uh, the conversation that we've been having, this is our second or third attempt at trying to get this down. It, it tends to kind of grow quite a bit. Um, but... What we're going to focus on is is kind of coming out of the idea that there is this focus right now in Agile about getting back to the core basics of it. A lot of people are worried that it's become too dogmatic, that people are too focused on practices and things without remembering why we're actually doing them. Um, and we've been having a discussion amongst ourselves about which is more important. Do you have to have both? Um, and the way that, that Jesse phrased it, one of the ways that Jesse phrased it is, if a developer doesn't understand the purpose of a process, then they're not going to know when to follow it and when to adapt it to their current situation. Um, so they will not, they will also not understand how to improve the process, which is a key part of developing in an agile way. Similarly, if a developer does not understand the benefits of using a particular technical practice, they may not know when to use it or when not to, or how to improve the practice. Um, to me, that sounds a little bit like you're moving towards um, one of those stages that Alistair Coburn talks about where you know when to walk away from the rules. Like you get the habits down, you're just going through the motions, and then you get to a point where you can kind of let go a little bit. Um, and, and Paul, I guess I'd, I'd like to start out with you to see where you are on this, because I know when we've talked about it before, you've had some pretty strong feelings about where which side of this you come down on. So for me, I think the most important thing that we can do is uh, pay real attention to simplicity and think uh, deeply about how can we uh, make the ideas that we're trying to uh, adopt, the, the thoughts that we're trying to um, extend to the, to the organization, 
as simple and as understandable as possible so that we can build that foundational piece um, where everyone does know the why, everyone does know where those uh, boundaries might be, um, and that then makes it a lot easier to um, to then uh, you know bounce off of that and, and be more successful. One of my observations, I think, over the last few years of, of seeing different teams try to adopt Agile is all of a sudden we introduce a million different new things, which are actually really very similar to old things, but we give them new names and we, you know, we try and bring people along for the ride with the practices. And uh, because we miss out on that super simple view of the world, which is you know, why, why do we exist and what we're trying to achieve, we confuse everybody with you know, lots of these um, very action-oriented um, processes and, and everything else, rather than thinking about some of those core outcomes. So you're so... I want to make sure that I'm getting this part right. So a lot of the complexity people are complaining about now are like, if you talk about the fact that we didn't have story points or daily scrums or or even retrospectives when a lot of this stuff started, those are things that have been added on with good intention. But you're talking about getting back to like, what is the most fundamental practice that I can have that is in line with Agile? Yes. And and I think that the the the, the additional point on that is, People very quickly go to those those activities uh, without actually stopping to think about the the why first, and so the activities become uh, meaningless or at worst just confusing uh, if you don't have that core reason why that you you know you, you've implemented them in the first place or why they might make sense in the first place. So for me, it's that simplicity of understanding to start with. Okay. So Jesse, do you think that you can actually get people to have that depth of understanding that quickly? I think so. I mean, my, my thoughts are if people can experience the depth or the why versus just being told, it typically sticks better. It gets you in the gut. Um, and I see that, you know, sometimes this falls apart when leadership just really doesn't get the why. So they're pushing agendas without them actually knowing what it even means when they need to sort of, you know, rip back the walls and figure out the why and the values and then create experiences for people to feel what that feels like. All right. So I want to try to riff on that for a second. So let's say I'm a senior executive at a company and we've been told we're going agile. So somebody read Jeff's new book and we've in a Harvard Business Review article and now we're all switching to agile. And I've been told that we're doing that because the company's going that way because it's the way of the future. Waterfall doesn't work. And I'm looking around my big office going, I got my big office through Waterfall. I don't know what's wrong with it, but okay, fine. I'll do it because I have to do it. Does that executive have to truly believe in it for it to work? I mean, I, I think so, because I feel like people can kind of smell a fraud, if you will, from a mile away. Sure. Um, and so if they're not convincing and they're not really grounded in the things that they're trying to do, then people kind of can see right through that, you know, and then typically chaos starts or, or rebellion or something. Okay. And Paul, what do Dave, you, think? you used yeah. A, yeah, you used a word there that I think is really important. And when you were describing it, you said, uh, we're going to do agile. Yeah, and I think that you know, there's, there's been a lot of conversation because uh, we bought time. it at the Agile store. We got those of consultants; course. they brought the Agile into the building, right? But that that's an interesting thing. You know, it, it seems commonsensical and it seems super uh, simple. Again, that there's this do Agile versus be Agile kind of 
way of thinking. Um, but I do believe that the, the, the be agile uh, mindset is, is really where you need to be. And it's the simplicity that helps that stick because uh, what tends to happen is we do agile and then we throw a whole ton of things at it that are all very new and, and in some cases kind of complex actually when you think about it. And, and then you end up with uh, lots of team members a little confused, not really sure quite why we were changing any anyway, and what was wrong with the old way. Oh, and by the way, I don't understand these 15 different new practices that you've introduced for me that, that, that I can't grok. So, so that for me is the challenge. If, if we're not uh, starting with how to be agile and, and then simplifying that, then you know, everything down the track from that just becomes really uh, problematic and you end up with lots of vanity metrics around things that, that truly don't actually matter when it comes to organizational change. So I get the simplicity thing, but there's a part of me that's wondering, if you take somebody from a traditional environment and you say, okay, everything that you've been taught about how to work, we're going to abandon that because it's not really helpful. And you're going to have to trust yourself and the people around you again, and you're going to deliver in these short cycles and all the other stuff that goes along with it. That's like not just pulling the rug out from under them. It's like pulling the entire earth out from under them. And we're saying, just believe that you can float but they don't have any evidence. They don't have any proof. They just have somebody's book or some coach who told them this was going to work. It seems like gravitating towards simple, basic, fundamental things that I can do would be a natural tendency. I mean, I get what you're saying about let's make it simple. I don't know what the simplest version is, but isn't it normal for them to just want to get get the list of stuff they have to do until they can figure it out? Yes, possibly. The the thing I would challenge on on that is, are we really uh, pulling? Uh, I forget how you described it. Something about pulling the rug out or, or pulling the earth a, out from under them. Well, maybe. However, uh, when you think about boiling it down to what the, the simple facts are, I don't believe we're we're doing that. I actually think that most people want to come to work every day, do something of value and importance, and uh, ship that to customers as soon as they can. And so. If you have a conversation like that and start talking about, you know, why do you, why do you do what you do? Why do you care about coming into work every day? I mean, I feel like most people are going to really understand that quite quickly. And, and, and actually, in terms of their common sense thinking, it's not alien at all. And so if you can take that and then build on that fact, the rest of it can come along quite easily for the ride. But we just don't take the time to do that. Okay. Jesse. Well, I think, I think that's true. I think you need to take a look at the values of the organization and the culture as a whole and, and then maybe take a look at this simplistic view of the Agile Manifesto and see how those things connect, show our leaders, are there things where those are aligned? Um, and how can we speak to the greater organization? Because these days, the entire organization is changing over to Agile. It isn't just limited to software and shipping, right? So I think it has to be simplistic enough and matter enough that everyone in every department feels it and understands that it's part of the culture. Okay. So I want to throw out a situation and see if this if where this goes with it. So I have a friend that I had dinner with last week and she works at a large financial company and she um, has been part of their agile implementation and working on it for a number of years. She feels totally unmotivated, totally stuck, totally without support from the upper middle layer of management. And 
she would like to have a joyous place to go to work, the place you kind of describe, Paul, but she doesn't believe that that is possible. She doesn't even see it as an option. So if if there are other people like that, how does an organization create that sense of hope that it doesn't have to be this place where you come and stay until we, you know, riff you in some company reduction. Um, how do you get people to a place where they're feeling like I'm excited about it? Like what you were just describing. Hmm. I have an idea. I mean, I think first the leadership has to recognize that there's people like that in the organization who feel stuck or unmotivated to do things. And, you know, one suggestion might be doing sort of like a design thinking um, type of exercise where you're doing a customer interview with, you know, different people from the organization. So your customers are actually internal um, and and get feedback on why they're thinking that or what they're thinking and, and start with that. So they're not just working off assumptions or just ignoring it altogether. Okay. And Paul, do you have suggestions? I have a question, I think. So um, if I understood your, your friend's situation correctly, I think what you said was there's, there's passion and interest in solving the problem at the lowest level, but actually there's more of a challenge in terms of the, the more senior execs not either not buying into this or if they do, only peripherally and not really Correct. living the val- values. Yeah, they're the frozen middle. And, and right. where, what that has left her with is with – being in a situation where she she knows what this is supposed to be able to do, but she's not able to find hope that it can actually happen there. So she's basically just clocking time until she you know can run out the next twenty years and retire, or she gets laid off. Which to me is a, is a very sad thing because I I think everybody should be able to go to work and have the excitement and the joy of working and doing something they love, which we all have. But there's a lot of people out there that don't even see that as being on the table. Right. Well, I'm going to give a logical answer, and then I'd love to see what uh, what Jesse would suggest uh, more in line with what she just suggested. <laughs> so I'm going to ask a really tough question, which is: there's a third option, and I don't understand why that's not on the table. So uh, you've got one, which is: hey, suck it up, you know, just go with it and, and be unhappy. One is, uh, you know, get rift or, or whatever else. But one is make a choice and go find a company that does have yeah. more uh, appetite for making that change. And you know, frankly. Um, I feel like there's a lot you can do uh, from the inside, you know, from the ground upwards that uh, helps organically change an organization. Uh, but if you ultimately don't have that top-down support, it might be, uh, you know, it might just be something where you're going to come to the end of a road and just not be able to go any further. And I've spoken to plenty of people that have gotten to that point where they really have attempted to make a change um, and the scope of their impact and influence just is, is, you know, not quite enough to, to overcome that. So, uh, so that's, you know, that's what I'm thinking when you're, when you're saying that is, you know, sometimes it's okay not to, not to stick around, I guess. So, so I had a job at a company, a large consulting company. I was really trying to do agile, tried to do it there for a number of years. And I was, it was that exact, exact situation. I made a decision. I don't want to work in this world anymore. I want to go work in the world where I can actually do this stuff. And I had to quit my job to go work someplace else to do that. And I tell that story in every single class, and I completely agree with that as an option, but no one's going to work in a bank anymore. And the world's going to fall apart economically if everybody quits and goes to work at a place that makes them happy. 
That's a great point. And, and maybe, <laughs> we need the banks. We need the people yeah, to do sure. that work that nobody else for wants sure. to do. For sure. So I'm, as I said, I'm really interested in, in some of Jesse's experiences and thoughts around, uh, you know, what can that person specifically do in terms of reengaging with senior execs or, uh, you know, because I, I think ultimately the execs have to, there's, there's some action that needs to be taken. They need to, they need to recognize and then they need to buy in and, and, and do something from the top down as well as the bottom up. Because I think if you're missing either of those two things, uh, it's going to be a challenging time. So if you don't have the the, the bottom up buy-in and you don't have the top down buy-in, um, either of those things can can really scupper things. So Jesse, I'm interested in what you think there. I mean, I definitely agree with some of that. I think you know you have to have buy-in from the top and the bottom. I think the first thing you might want to do is just experiment with the people that are in sort of your influence circle, if you will. You know. And what are the things that those people care about and how can you make changes within it, within the values of that group, you know, and then see if it can start to sort of, you know, the five people become eight, the eight become 15 and see how you can maybe grow that or make that attractive um, to other people to want to be curious about. I feel like I'm very theory. I'm the theory X guy in this conversation, and you guys are all very theory Y. I'm thinking, yes, and that's a lot of work and a lot of effort. Yeah, I I, I feel like for me because I've had lots of jobs before I started my own company um, where it just wasn't a good fit, and you know it was time for me to go. Um, however, I think you. You know, it, it takes a lot of effort to be frustrated and stressed and and have to come to work grumpy every day, you know, and and sometimes it feels like a good stress, if you will, or even less stressful to create the scenario that makes you feel good. Yeah. Well, what about that middle layer? How could let's say executive management becomes aware of the fact that there's this issue and they want to address it and maybe they're bought into agile. And maybe the teams are too. How do they feed that into the middle of the organization, the part that's always stuck? Well, I, for me, I mean, this is something that I've been working on with a client. Um, it goes back to what I was saying before, where could you set up some sort of um, experiment and get customer feedback around the things that you care about or around the things that are going wrong and then present that to the layer above, right? And so you have, let's say, you know, three, 400 people that participated in this, in, in these interviews, you know, and then go and present that with how they match the values and the culture of the company, how they, what kind of outcomes and what would happen if we didn't take these things seriously. Kind of, you have to obviously think like, who are you pitching this to in the room and how can you get them in the gut, you know, and make it, you know, make them perk up and listen. Okay. Paul, do you have any thoughts on this? Totally. Uh, I was thinking as, as Jesse was talking about something that in one of our prior attempts to record, we, we discussed a little bit about uh, logical thinking versus feeling. And um, as, as Jesse was talking, I was thinking, you know, I, I feel like setting out the stall for the simplicity in terms of things that are easy to understand, i.e., you know, the logical thinking pieces is super important. Uh, clarity of that purpose is important. But then how do you turn that into something that people really 
truly internalize and, and truly understand in, in their gut. And I think that's where um, some of those exercises, some of those uh, approaches Jesse was just talking about uh, really can underline that, 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 that simple view of the world, which is much more of a logical understanding. So that I'm sort of thinking about this from two different ways with the company itself, this developing the desire to change is something they have to do. And then the self-awareness and the honesty to being able to look at all this and then opening themselves up as a company and being vulnerable to exposing some of these weaknesses. Cause that, and that was something that we've talked about previously as well. Like how vulnerable should the executive leadership be to saying to the rest of the company, Hey, we're trying to do this, right? Am I, yes. <laughs> I'm all by yeah. myself. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry about that. It's okay. Um, so when, when you were just talking about it, one of the things I started to think was about a conversation I had um, a few weeks ago with um, about millennials and the fact that they're about experiences. And so Paul, let's say that somebody's going to do what you described as maybe the only option a few minutes ago. I'm going to go work someplace else. Then if I'm the organization, I start to lose people. So I've got to find a way to innovate as a company to become enticing enough to keep people. Mm-hmm. Or, and, or to hire people with your values in mind. You right. know? I think when, when I work with HR departments who have changed over to sort of being agile, one thing that they have to start to do is figure out how do they recruit people that have an agile mindset. What do those people look like? What do they care about? You know, so that because the organization will start to shift, especially if people are leaving, then you have to start to think, where do I get new people to come in and what do they look like? Yeah, I think the thing that's so cool about this is it makes it's almost like every business has two businesses, one, whatever they're actually producing, but two, Mm -hmm. making themselves attractive enough that people are going to want to come there and stay there, which I don't think that that has been or maybe I'm wrong, but I would guess that that has not been something companies have thought of. For the I past hundred years, we see that. I think it's really prevalent. People, there's just not enough talent typically when it deals with software and engineering. So I think that those companies have been sort of ahead of that idea that, like, if we're not attractive as a company culture, then we're not going to have anybody who wants to work here, or and everybody we have is going to go to the other thing. You know, I think these bigger organizations are a little slower to figure that out. But they're figuring it out. So I want to can, I want to stand that for a second and use this as a sort of a negative example. Um, I had a job at a company that was all about being a great place to work, and I went in there and they had you know the uh, guitar thing, the video guitar game. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what it's called, and. Guitar Hero, right? And and they had a foosball table and all this cool stuff. Like, look at what a great place, a big empty, you know, fun room that no one was in. Mm-hmm. And no one ever went in there. <laughs> yeah, because it's, it's Band-Aids, right? It's right. the same that we talked about in the beginning, which is like all of these companies try and put these Band-Aids on their agile process, right? So they, they come up with all these techniques and things and ceremonies that they have to do, but... If you pull all those things away, their culture is, you know, gone to the trash, you know, and that's the same thing. It's like, it's fake. Like who is actually, who is Oz? Like when you pull the court, like they're not a ping pong table, you know what I mean? 
Yeah. And that, I guess that's why I was trying to go back to the same place too, because to me, that's what a lot of companies do. They go through the motions of creating a pretend fun oh, yeah. environment without it being one itself. Oh, yeah. Well, there's, there's an additional issue on top of that. So I, I've definitely seen that. And that's, that's true. Um, but what ex- to what extent do you hire for the culture you want versus the culture you have? And I think this is a really important question that, that actually is, is, is a parallel to the other conversations we had, which is if, if you hire for the culture that you want, there's a pretty good chance that you're going to annoy all of those new hires with the culture that you have when they come in the door. And so, uh, you know, is there something you need to do to uh, sort of temper that as you go through interview processes to change the culture over a slower period of time? Because if, if you're a team and you're you know, gung-ho on being really agile and you hire for that and you hire for all of the skills and processes and everything else that that, that entails – but the rest of your organization is still mired in uh, long-term planning and, uh, you know, uh, release trains that take weeks and weeks and things like that. Um, all you're going to do is you're going to hire a bunch of really unhappy people in that, in that team that really wants to be agile. So, so I, and, and, and I've seen that happen uh, very, very personally. I've worked at some of those companies. <laughs> you resemble that implication. Exactly. Um, so, so yeah, that's that's a real challenge. Is uh, you know you want to change the culture, you want to be bringing in uh, the new blood, so to speak, in order to to change that culture from the bottom up. Um, but if you don't either have the support from the top down, or if you just have a, an organization that, that's that's just not there yet, and, and you know we have uh, examples of lots of larger organizations that aspirationally want to change, but uh, you know fundamentally are struggling. Then, then what you end up doing is, is hiring a team and then immediately then letting them down almost. Uh, and that's a, that's a constant challenge. How do you keep them engaged? How do you uh, enable them to go impact and influence the rest of the organization in an appropriate way? And if I bring it back to your friend's example there, Dave, um, you, you know, if, if there's no real outlet for that person to actually have that uh, effect on the organization, perhaps their position isn't one of uh, enough significance or, or they're not senior enough in the organization where enough people will listen um, all you end up with is that same level of frustration. So, so I do think we need to consider that as we're as we're building organizations, as we're changing organizations through attrition and hiring, that uh, we can't get ahead of ourselves in terms of our aspiration compared to our current culture. I think that's true, and I, I guess I'm also wondering at the same time: Have you met anyone ever who felt that their company was adopting Agile fast enough? Because everywhere, everybody I meet is like, we're too slow. It's taken years. It's taken weeks. It's taken two days. It's never fast enough for them. And they get it faster than management does. And they really want the rest of the company to just get in line. Um, but I think you're right. It does. It takes a long time. I guess understanding, having the patience for it is maybe as important as, or or the rate of change, figuring out what the rate of change should be is as important as the what and the, or the how and the why. I would say the rate of transition more than change, right? So not thinking about when is this thing going to be flipped on its head, but what what is the pace of the transition or what are the things that we're already doing that match the values going forward so we don't necessarily have to shift everything, you know? And acknowledging the positives. That was something you, you yes. had brought up before that, that I tend to forget to look at because I'm a project manager. I only care about the broken. <laughs> I think that's so important. I think, you know, human nature is that at our core, we want to be validated for the things that we're doing. And so if you start to slap us on the hand and say nothing you're doing is right, or just not even acknowledging it, even if you think some of the things are right, then that's a real turnoff. 
path for most people and they have a hard time transitioning. But if you can show them that there's some alignment already there that's going really well, then they may, you know, be more likely to go along for the ride. Yeah. So I know we have to stop in a few minutes. Do either of you have advice that you would give to, I guess, first senior management? If you work at an organization that is struggling with getting a greater awareness of the depth of change that has taken place or or even realizing that that's something you need to look at, do you have suggestions for them? Well, I think, you know, one one thing I'll do with senior management is – you know, what, what is your true North? What are the values of the culture and write those things down in the most simplistic way, or what is our why? And then take a hard look at the people in the room and have them write, be asked that same question and see if those things match, you know? Um, I would say start there and then start to create and weave in agile into the culture. Okay. And Paul? As part of what Jesse just said, I would start with how would you, in, in, in layman's terms, in the most simplistic terms possible, how would you articulate what success might look like? And for me, that boils down into to three broad buckets, which is, uh, one, we understand what the most important thing we can be doing is at any given time. For, for our business. So this is the, uh, you know, don't waste any time on stuff that's not important question. The second one is uh, around making sure that you actually ship quality products that are, that are uh, at a quality that you, you can be proud of. So be clear about what that looks like. And the third one is around removing anything that, that gets in the way of you doing that. So, uh, you know, I think that the conversation you can have with the organization doesn't have to have any particularly agile words, buzzwords, those kinds of things. And, you know, very easily resonates with the team. Um, and once you've done that, now you have the beginnings of uh, some, some baseline values that you can all buy into, which I don't think are particularly controversial in many ways. Um, and you can then start to have conversations around what the reality is today in comparison to that and what things might need to change. And, and, and this is where, you know, some of Jesse's thoughts around, uh, you know, maybe asking different people around the organization what they believe those things to be. Are you know you can start to identify gaps. You can start to identify plans to to bridge those gaps. Um, when when you you know when you talk about the delta from that that uh, that simple view. Okay, I, I want to build on the, both of what you just said uh, real quick. Um, I think along with the values, understanding if you're going after agile, why having that conversation and coming up with a reason that explains why we have to do agile. Um, how that reflects back to the, to the values. And then Paul, with what you said, I love when you said the thing about removing anything um, that gets in the way. So if the company decides agile is a way to get to whatever makes more sense with their values, I think understanding all the things in the way is really important. I also think, because going back to what we were saying earlier, that paying attention to the, the rate at which the organization can, can handle the change um, can kind of cope with it without freaking out and switching back, I think is an important thing to pay attention to as well. So getting rid of all that stuff, but in a responsible pace, I guess maybe is the right way to say it. Um, yeah. Resp- responsible pace is a good way of putting it. And I, and I think that um, when Jesse talks about effectively small wins, you know, how do you celebrate the things that are already going well right off the bat? And then how do you celebrate those small 
um, small deltas that, that, that lead you further towards being agile. Yeah. I think the expectation yeah. you can show up to a two-day course and be agile is <laughs> you know, so unrealistic and so prevalent that it, that it scares me. Unless they so, take my class, in which case it's fine. <laughs> Dave, I've I taken would, your class. <laughs> oh, that's right. Sorry. <laughs> I would add to that, Paul, and say um, celebrate being experimental with the things that you're trying as well. So even if they're not a win per se, you know, it might be the biggest obstacle that they find is that people in the organization are afraid to make mistakes, you know? And so if that's what they uncover, then I would say celebrate, you know, having an exper- experiential attitude towards the things they're trying to do. Thank you, for say- yeah. Thank you for saying that. That's so important. It's so easy to say quick wins or celebrate wins. Uh, I, I am a thousand percent behind celebrating everything you try. Yeah. Everything you learn. Cause it just yeah. gets you stronger. So what about people that was for senior leadership? So the last question that I want to ask you both is what about for somebody who is not in a leadership position, somebody who is down at the team level, who's working in an organization that feels like I totally get agile, but those people don't, they haven't understood it yet. They mm-hmm. haven't finished drinking their Kool-Aid yet. Um, what I, advice do you I have for feel- them? Good. So one thing I like to do when I'm working with teams and they're on the level that you described um, is gathering the teams together and understanding what motivates them, right? What are their motivations? Because it might be that because their motivations are different than yours and the way that you operate, that may be the obstacle in the way. And, um, instead of working off assumptions that everybody thinks this way or they don't like it, maybe find out what they're motivated by and then create experiences that work towards their style of motivation. I Before you go, Paul, I just want to say, Jesse, thank you for being the emotional person who brought the art of war into the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> Paul? <laughs> So <laughs> no, no, no. I was just trying to think how I, how I was responding to that. Um, and let's see. So, uh, if you've ever seen uncle Bob Martin speak about, uh, developer professionalism, one of the, the questions that he almost always gets asked at the end of his presentation, uh, which is, you know, it's always a fun presentation to watch. Uh, he talks very much about, you know, default expectations and anything less than these default expectations is is considered unprofessional. And I think that's a really great uh, sort of uh, strong uh, presentation style to have. But he always gets the question, well, yeah, but what if what if the, the guy sitting next to me in the office, you know, doesn't do this? Well, you know, how can I make him do this? And Bob always stands there and just says, well, you can't. And, you know, his point is that you have to lead by example. You have to, to do what you believe in and you have to uh, you know, hope in some way that that rubs off. Um, but I like what Jesse said because it doesn't mean you can't talk about it. It doesn't mean you can't come together and discuss why you're different, why you have different approaches or attitudes or understandings. And I think that's going to be the key thing is if everybody, uh, you know, understands their own values, maybe understands company values, stays true to themselves, stays disciplined, which I think is key. We haven't really talked too much about discipline. Um, then, then that's a great thing for them as individuals but then the real uh, magic comes when those individuals can uh, be in an environment where they can talk with each other about what they care about and then, uh, you know, multiply each other's effect, amplify each other. 
Definitely. I mean, that's a real definition of a diverse team, right? I also think, I mean, for me, there's been one other aspect of it too, which is kind of reframing what success means. So it's not for me about agile necessarily, but if I, let's say I'm a scrum master. I mean, to me, that job is all about hacking people. And the more I can understand, like Jesse, like you said, what their motivators are, um, if I want a change to happen, finding a way to socially engineer that kind of situation or create an opportunity for it to happen. Um, mm-hmm. And also paying attention to that within myself because I have to change my own self as well. That's the thing that becomes really interesting to me about this kind of work is it shifts. It's not so much about the product as it is the change. Definitely. Cool. All right. So before we go, I want to thank you both. And Jesse, you have a bunch of events coming up and I can't pronounce half of them. So (laughs) I'm going to do my best. You've got Jacksonville, Florida on December 6th. You've got Washington, D.C. on January 5th. And then a bunch of stuff in Israel, places I can't pronounce. And then you're going to Kentucky. (laughs) Yes, because where would anyone (laughs) go after Israel? So, yes. And they can find this stuff on the improveffect.com, which is where they can also track you down. Um, and they can also, I have to find my notes. They can go to twitter.com improv effect, or I'll include a, uh, link to your LinkedIn profile as well. And Paul, where can they find you? Uh, I am, uh, online at phammond.com, uh, Twitter at phammond. And, uh, I guess I, I'm going to plug something right now. Oh yeah. I'm not direct- Cool. I'm, I'm not. Um, I'm not directly actually presenting at, but uh, since my next meeting right after this conversation is around, around this conference that the Agile Alliance is putting on, uh, it's a it's a fairly new conference for uh, focused on uh, the technical community. Uh, we really want to re-engage as as an alliance with the technical mu- community. So in uh, April of 2017 in Boston, Massachusetts, we're going to be holding a. Uh, uh, a conference for anyone involved in the actual art of building software and they can come along and spend some time with their, their friends and, and colleagues and uh, write some code and uh, share some war stories. So that's uh, April 19th to the 21st, I believe in, in Boston, Massachusetts. And this will be the second time you guys have done this one, right? It is. Yeah. We, we, we ran it last year as an experiment to see if it uh, was something that, that the community was interested in. We got some great feedback. So uh, now we are, uh, we're looking at the 2017 date and trying to uh, figure out all the great speakers. Um, we had a really great set of speakers last year. So um yeah, if, if people are interested, go to the AgileAlliance.org website and uh, look at the events tab and, and uh, see if they want to come along and, and share in some development practices and uh, you know, coding type uh, environments. All right. Well, thank you both for doing this. I really appreciate it. This was fun to talk about and hopefully provided some value for folks. Um, and enjoy your weekend. Thank you.